A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's a truly historic day on the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast as Kieran Murphy reveals himself to be a true blue dog. Hello there, Owen. Kieran, myself and Ken here welcome you. Anton O'Toole welcomes you. Jimmy Keaveney welcomes you. <laughs> Heck, even the great man, you know who I'm talking about. Colomini welcomes you. Oh, God. Today. What's security. happened here? What's oh, going on Karen, here? obviously you haven't read Murph's GA column, Second Opinion, in today's oh my, Irish oh Times. Oh, my God. No, I haven't. Oh, well, you're one of the few readers. God, all those Monday right. mornings. You were, keeping that, you were keeping that quiet. All those Monday mornings bored to tears reading your column. I'll tell you just, what. Just for, the, just for the sake of team spirit. I'll tell you what. You're one of the few Irish Times reader, uh, readers who hasn't read it, Ken. It's booted Augustine Pichot's. Uh, article right out of the top five most read there in sport. Really? Yeah, so okay. ba- essentially, I'll put it down to you. No need to read the whole lot. You should because it's very good, but if I was the headline writer, it would have been everybody loves the Dublin football team. That's that's what he's saying. Yep. All <laughs> the c- I know. What he, I already know what he's doing, but go on. <laughs> well, no, that's pretty much it. I know, no. I know what he's up that's to. Amazing, well, go on, yeah. What's he up to? No, no, go on. I'm no, so essentially, he, he rang a load of lads back in, uh, and maybe ladies. I'm not sure who he rang exactly. He doesn't reveal his sources. Uh, over in <laughs> paper of record, of course. You know, you got to go <laughs> go by all the journalistic principles. And said to them, "This is back west, you know." And he rang them up and said, "Hey, don't you guys hate the dubs?" And each of them said, "No, we love the dubs." And Murph wrote a piece on how all the culties love the dubs. That's come back. <laughs> well, yeah, that was clarified. That that that's come back. No, what was the, what I was still the, what don't understand what's, what's, what's the bad about scumbag. We've got a feature in our program, which is scumbag of the week or whatever, mm-hmm. where in which listeners write in emails to us begging to be called scumbag, of and the they week. didn't get called a scumbag. Oh, but yeah, just so, yeah, but they just happen to be scumbags. I mean, that's different. It's entirely. Very different to Tommaso Shea branding well, people. Uh, anyway, well, they're not okay. scumbags, they're scamps. Well, they're well, scamps. Scamp of the week. We've well, got it from well tell, tell me this, Owen. Yeah. What week of the year are we in? What, what, what time of year is it? Just pre-championship, May 12th. Lenser Championship pre, at the kick-off this weekend. Pre-championship. Yeah. Of course, the championship itself hasn't kicked off. Not quite yet, no. Or thrown in, indeed. Um, but guess which uh, rapidly anti-Dublin GEA columnist has got a little bit of uh, pro-dubs... Uh, <laughs> in the bank uh, early on, early doors oh. to start the season off with. Obviously, he speaks with forked tongue, uh, you know. <laughs> and later on uh, in the season, uh, you know, obviously he'll be chronicling the Dublin team, probably all That's the way. Back. The, <laughs> probably all the way to the final, you know, grudging, grudgingly praising when appropriate. Yeah, you know, but occasionally yeah, pointing out the little questions. Uh, but then, you know, if if people are ever if people are ever getting onto him, getting on his case about this, because people will see. Obviously, the the mask will slip, and we'll we'll know what he's actually really about. Interesting. He can point to this. Don't don't ever say that I don't give Dublin a fair go. There could even be another a rereader, Ken, as you as you speak oh, I know with with new eyes. I see, I see some hidden meanings. I mean, I see some backhanded compliments here. The public's impression of this Dublin team's approach to life is closer to that of an extremely earnest, dedicated, polite bunch of young accountants being, being managed by a large group of extremely earnest, slightly older accountants. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that line. Yeah, that's nice. That's it's nice. 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 Is it sincere, though? We haven't allowed Karen to talk here. We're just reading about it. 
Well, I, I feel like uh, whatever I say now, Ken is going to use it against me. I know you do. I do not speak with forked tongue. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Dublin are basically Barcelona, you know, mm-hmm. and it Mesh depends. In yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it depends on on what you want from your from your sport. You know, I know hundreds of thousands of people in this country. Well, maybe they don't all sit down and watch them at the same time simultaneously, but they love watching Barcelona beat Granada five nil, mm. and they do that for an entire season. And they think that this is amazing entertainment. Now, I don't really, I don't really subscribe to that. Actually, uh, I don't know how much entertainment you actually get from that. But say if Barcelona were playing in a league where everyone else is playing a very, very defensive mode of football, mm-hmm. and they're literally the only team pouring Selling in the, the goal, the right way to play the game. Yeah, that's basically what the Dubs are at the moment. Uh, I mean, we mo- we might see loads of very good football. We'll probably see a lot of very bad football over the course of the next couple of months. And as my Western correspondent did tell me, there, the, the, the choice is there for the next two months, whether there, what, what you get more from watching an Ulster preliminary round game between Antrim and Fermanagh, if that was being televised this, week, this coming weekend, or Armagh against Cavan, which is going to be, you know, pretty intense, but I'm going to say pretty low scoring. Or you watch Dublin playing amazing football, banging in brilliant goals from all areas of the field, all-out attack. The first truly great counter-attacking Gaelic football team. Well, counter-attack is different from all-out attack. Are they are they really that different from the other major counties? Is it not just that they play a similar enough game plan, but have way better forwards? So that when they do get the ball up there... They, they have way better scores yeah. playing in the half-back line as well. Yeah. I mean... They just do everything quicker. And the full and, <laughs> Yeah, they do everything quicker. They're more accurate. I mean, as of right now, they're by a mile the most entertaining team to watch. Oh, no, they are, yeah. But I don't, is that, I don't know if that's so much a philosophy. I know Jim Gavin likes to... Well, listen, we're getting off point here. I mean, the point is that you are now an honorary dub. But uh, I think Jim Gavin likes the idea that they're seen as an all-out attacking team. Yeah, they can. They tighten up when needs be. Yeah, I see Keanu Sullivan sweeping around in front of his full back line there. Yeah, like one business. sweeper on one, <laughs> just one tidy, puny, pathetic sweeper. Oh, amazing! I think it calls for a follow up to my Anton O'Toole poem. Can I might rustle something up for Murph, especially for Murph on Monday? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Why not? Well, I, I'd like that on. Okay. I'd like that. Whatever about whether Ken would like that, I would like that very much. Another another poem. I think so. Yeah, for Monday. Well, you've challenged me. I mean, you challenged me on Monday, so I'll, I'll save this. I'll feverishly work at it for nine minutes over the course of the weekend <laughs> and see what I can come up with. Yeah, I, th- I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to charting your progression. All right, guys, I'm going to throw five seemingly random, unconnected sports at you. And you have to tell me what they have in common. Mm-hmm. Swimming. Yeah. Fencing. Show jumping. Shooting. And cross-country running. Well, they don't have anything in common with each other. But you're, that's where you're wrong Swimming, right? fencing, show jumping um, Shooting Shooting And cross country running They're all very posh sports Apart from swimming and cross country running Which aren't posh at all <laughs> <laughs> So the fencing's other, posh Well I suppose show, show jumping is kind of posh The other three are extremely posh They have plenty in common mm-hmm. Military? Would they, well there's a military, military bent uh, Now this is uh, the sports that make up modern pentathlon These are the five sports Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Natalia Coyle came ninth in the world of the 2012 Olympics just a few years after taking up the sport. And seems to be timing her run pretty well for Olympics year. She won mixed relay gold at the Modern Pentathlon World Cup in Sarasota, Florida on Sunday. If you saw the first episode last night of the RT2 documentary Road to Rio, you'll have seen just a glimpse of her. Uh, she wasn't featured heavily in that. The, this is essentially a program following. It's 10... Irish athletes in their attempts to qualify for Rio and going through all their uh, training regimes and, and private lives and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, she will be one of the Irish athletes featured heavily in that program as the weeks progress and is going to pop into studio today. Do you know who finished 20th in the modern pentathlon in the 1912 Stockholm Olympics? Is it somebody we will have heard of? Yes. Well, maybe. Oh. Sounds like Murph knows. Take your time, Murph. It's a podcast. Oh, People no. have all the time in the world. I'll give you a hint, Murph. You've already given your own hint by the word military oh yeah this is uh, uh, General Patton General Patton General George Patton yeah 20th out of 32 competitors Uh, 
Not a great performance. <laughs> oh, but he got there. He went over. He tried. Uh, here, hold on. Well, 20th in the Olympics, I suppose. In 1912, it was basically whoever could afford the airfare. <laughs> so, I mean. Uh, the sole representative of the United States uh, in an event in which eight out of the top ten were Swedes. I don't know how much more I can tell you about this. Uh, he got 100, 150 May, points. Will you find us another fact about ancient modern pentathlon? Ancient modern pentathlon. <laughs> hmm. uh, before the end of the show. Yeah, he did, he did well in swimming. Um, he They've got the whole results here. Yep. Uh, uh, quite, yeah, quite well in swimming. Uh, extremely well in fencing. Ranked fourth. Uh, and then equestrian, uh, sixth. Good. I'm wondering where he fell down. Athletics, third. So what, what must have happened to him? He oh, didn't show up for one. I mean, he slept out for the... Fifth event by the sound of things. Athletics, equestrian, fencing. An actual war broke out and, and he had to leave the. Oh no, Olympics sorry, sorry. Uh, shooting. Uh, shooting was what he was 20 then. I thought that was the overall result. In fact, don't, I don't even know what the result is. You couple that together for the end of the program, will you? Yeah, because like, Natalia's on the way in pretty soon. We, we're going <laughs> to chat to her. Unbelievable. She's a really <laughs> top sports person. She probably doesn't need you to hear about it. All I'm saying is he didn't, he didn't win a medal. It was three Swedes who won the medals. And George Patton was uh, further down this. Probably need to brush up on the uh, marksmanship. Okay, if you're a world champion athlete who has picked Olympics a year to return to top form, you'd normally have a lot to be happy about. But for Caster Semenya, things are never quite that straightforward. Last Friday, she ran the fastest time in the world this year in winning a Diamond League race for the first time since 2011. This is in the 800 metres. means she'll go to Rio as a huge gold medal prospect with a load of publicity around her. In Semenya's case, it's not necessarily the kind of publicity... Well, it's not the kind of publicity anybody would want to face. We're joined by ProPublica's David Epstein, author of The Sports Gene, to talk about this. David, great to chat to you on the show again. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I guess, in a nutshell, this is the problem for Caster, that Caster Semenya has faced ever since winning the World Championship gold in 2009, when you know, it was revealed back then she'd been subjected to this gender testing. She Even now, she runs well. She sort of runs herself into the spotlight and actually inadvertently reopens this debate about whether or not she has unfair genetic advantages. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's the exact same issue that's coming back from 2009 when at the World Championships, kind of as an unknown, she sort of looked over her shoulder and ran away from the rest of the world, right? And some of, and it really started with some of her own competitors saying, you know, essentially one of her competitors from Russia said, well, look at her, you know, this isn't fair. And that led to biological sex testing and, uh, of course, these questions of how do you uh, define someone who's allowed to compete as a woman. And then it kind of went away for a little while because her uh, times got worse, basically. Um, you know, and there was reporting that she was forced to undergo testosterone suppression. Her times got worse. And then sort of conspicuously, her times have gotten better just as there was another ruling over an athlete named Duty Chand that said, okay, we're not going to police testosterone anymore in international sport. And her times started dropping precipitously after that ruling. And so it's fueled speculation that basically her times are sort of um, following uh, testosterone levels as that, that when you know, her times got worse when they had to be medicated and got better again when a ruling said she didn't have to suppress testosterone anymore. And we don't know any of that. But that's kind of the narrative that's emerged because of the conspicuous timing in her, her great performances. The IAAF, I mean, they brought that rule in that you mentioned about the testosterone levels in 2011, as far as I know. And I, I guess they saw that as something of uh, a compromise. They were absolutely hammered for the gender testing and it obviously came out on the, the day, I think, that she was running in the final of the Worlds, certainly yeah. in and around that. Um, so they brought in this rule that which they uh, obviously had decided uh, in conjunction with the medical department. I think the IOC were involved in bringing it as well that we'll just put an upper limit. Testosterone is, is going to be what we use here as the barometer, um, essentially of whether the athlete is, is qualified as a female and if it's too high, they they don't they don't qualify. So it's thought at that stage that she did actually undergo treatment, or is it, is it known that she underwent treatment to reduce her testosterone levels? So she has never um, publicly said if she uh, underwent treatment to reduce testosterone levels. There were a number of reports um, to that effect saying she had three times the normal female testosterone, which is a little bit vague because there's a range of testosterone, so we don't really know what that means. So she's never confirmed it, but that's that's been. Uh, what's what's been reported the the issue is the whole the whole issue enveloping this i mean for most of us right our genes and our chromosomes and our bodies and our psychology all match male or female but there are some people for whom that is not the case that all those don't match up and so the sports governing bodies often act like if we just know the science better it's going to make a clear answer to this question 
And that's not the case. There is no, whatever line they draw, it's going to have to be arbitrary and it's going to be unfair to people on one side or another. And I think they just need to admit that as a starting point for this conversation. Well, Matt Slater uh, um, did a piece of BBC last year where he quoted various experts describing that the, that testosterone limit as unscientific in one case. Another expert called it biological racism. I mean, it sounds like you agree that it's unscientific. Um, but would, would you agree, would you go as far as calling it biological racism? No, so, so I, don't, I don't totally agree that it's unscientific. What, what is, so there is a gap, right? People will say, well, you can't judge based on testosterone because it's a spectrum. That's true. But a high level, a woman in the highest part of the female spectrum is still about 400% lower than a man who's in the lowest end of the male spectrum. So there is a gap. So it, if you had to choose something, I think it's a reasonable choice for deciding who gets entry into the female class in sports, right? Because we've decided to make a class for competition. And so how do you, how do you give it meaning? So I don't think it's scientifically meaningless. But it is most certainly scientifically imperfect because there is no perfect scientific answer. So the only you know, kind of foolproof thing you could go with is to say, well, everyone should compete as they identify. But obviously, some of their competitors then raise a fuss about that. So I don't think it's, it, it's, just, it's just very imperfect and for a very emotional issue. But I don't think it's unscientific. And I think there's some experts who have spent their life studying this, like Eric Belain, who, who would say the same. Well, what, what did the CAS say then? Was, the, was their issue based on science? When Dutay Chan, as you say, brought this case to the CAS and, and the ruling the, this uh, hormone limit, uh, testosterone limit, I should say, has been done away with for the time being or been suspended for the time being. What was her argument? What argument did her lawyers make on her behalf to say that actually this is, this is unfair? Part of what they said was basically, you know, prove to us that testosterone is the source of an advantage, like show us that it makes a difference. And there were some, there were some odd kind of arguments there. Like part of, part of the ruling decided that, well, you can't compare normal testosterone to like the testosterone that people inject to improve their performance, even though the molecule is exactly the same, right? And then there were some studies showing really wide-ranging testosterone levels in athletes that were used to show you know, even lots of men, male athletes have low testosterone, so you can't say that they have an advantage. But actually, those tests were done after people competed, where we know their testosterone drops. When you really do the test, you're supposed to do it basically in the morning after someone fasted. And so there was a lot of very dubious uh, science, I think, in that trial. Not, not to say that the decision was right or wrong, but I think there's some, you know, I don't think some of the of the arguments in that trial really would stand up to significant scientific scrutiny. Uh, David, what about the maybe less scientific argument that uh, uh, you know, nobody uh, a cy- well, maybe cycling isn't it's not always the best sport to bring up in these cases, but we always heard of hematric levels there, hematrocyte levels. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily punished for having a certain level there, or maybe more actually even less scientifically. Again, a basketball player, an NBA, big NBA star, isn't in any way punished for being seven foot one inch tall or whatever it might be, and therefore that a woman shouldn't be um, shouldn't be punished for having higher levels of testosterone than a woman is supposed or a woman would usually have. I mean, that's a great question, and I'm very sympathetic to that issue. I think the, the easiest way to parse it is to say, well, we haven't decided to um, draw height lines in basketball, right? If we did have a league that said, well, here are the people above seven feet tall and here are the people below seven feet tall, you know, then we would divide them. Or in boxing, for example, we do have those classes where we say, well, a guy who's heavier and stronger isn't allowed to compete with these other people. It's just that there's a very easy way to draw the line in those cases. So in the case of track and field, you know, we have decided to draw a line between male and female. So then the question is, how do you make that a meaningful line? I, I do find something unsettling still, though, about the... I mean, the fact that the IAAF, as we've seen in the last couple of years, and as we've talked to you about, have ignored the rampant doping problem in their sport while yeah. insisting that athletes like the, the couple we're talking about here and more unnamed athletes who've apparently gone through some of these processes... Uh, they're, 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 not that they're going after these athletes, that might be the best way to phrase it, but they are. They did bring in a rule that insists that these athletes take actually take um, treatments to counteract what's occurring naturally in their bodies, right. while uh, kind of ignoring the issue of lots of other people um, doping themselves up to the gills to win medals. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I completely agree with you. And in fact, I, I think it's hypocritical. To, and not only that, but I really think given what we all know about these sports governing bodies, I understand that just to let someone compete as they identify, they say I'm male or female, 
you know, can be seen as unfair to some of their competitors. But boy, I would, I just do not want to see the IAAF and the IOC in the business of trying to parse people's biological sex. I think that's way above their heads. They've got plenty on their hands um, just trying to combat, you know, people who are supplementing their testosterone in lots of other ways that we know are, is off limits. Where have they left it now, having lost that case with the CAS? I mentioned that it's been suspended, that their rule has been suspended for a couple of years. Would you expect that to be revisited? Do they have a load of scientific medical people in the background working, working away? It will definitely be revisited, and they have, um, you know, they're working with some consultants. In fact, one named Joanna Harper, who herself is a, is a medical physicist and a transgender um, athlete who is an age group national champion in the United States and doing some advising. So it will definitely be revisited. Do I think it will be uh, overturned? I don't know, but not necessarily. I mean, for most of the history of women's sports, you know, this all of this biological sex testing has either not been done or been a debacle. Right? It's never gone well. But even when it, even when nobody was doing it, it wasn't like women's sports were crumbling. Like they were still progressing and getting better. In fact, so I don't think you know the apocalypse is going to come to women's sports if. Uh, we decide not to do biological sex testing for the foreseeable future. We mentioned right at the top that the, this is something that dates back to, we first heard, it, in the case of Semenya, we first heard about it in 2009, and we're now in 2016, and it seems like the IWF haven't, still haven't figured the whole thing out, if there, if there is a, a way of, of, kind of, of figuring it out. But what do you think of the discourse, the public discourse in general around this? If, it does, if Semenya does do really well in the Olympics and people again do start subjecting her to all these very personal types of, of, of studies and of questions, is is the world in general a little bit more smarter, a little bit smarter, more clued in about this kind of issue, or are we where we were seven years ago? I think the world is a little bit more clued into the issue, but in, in large part, I think we're still in the same place. Um, you know, people have difficulty understanding that not everyone might fit perfectly biologically into uh, male or female, and that's a difficult thing for people to understand. Uh, I think some people find it challenging or even threatening. And I think the IAAF and the IOC have not done public understanding any favors because they don't come out and say, you know, they try to say, well, we're drawing the authoritative scientific line. Like, no, if you want to say something, come out and say, we're drawing an arbitrary line that isn't fair to everyone, but it's the best we can figure out. And I think if they brought some more honesty to the discussion, you know, the last thing we want again is, is what happened to Castor Semenya in 2009, which is all this weird stuff done in secret and all this speculation. And, and so I, I think they really need to come out and just be honest about the issue they're facing and how that they don't have all the answers either and that science isn't going to deliver them a perfect answer. And I think that would do a lot for public understanding and hopefully for, you know, for their reputation. Okay, listen, David Epstein, always fascinating talking to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. All right, great stuff there from David Epstein. Uh, I was... I'm very interested that he doesn't necessarily have a problem with the science being employed by the IWF and the IOC, but he does have a big problem with, and he came back to it at the end, uh, he talked about it a couple of times, with their failure to acknowledge that this science isn't perfect and, in fact, is, is incomplete. He feels that they can just come out, they should just come out and say, look, this, isn't, this is the best we can do. This, we think this is the best way forward with this, but um, obviously it's not perfect. Obviously we don't know 100% what we're doing, but we're trying our best here. And yet, that's not really the approach they seem to be taking on it. Um, I mean, the difficulty here is that um, the the idea that, you know, uh, male and female is a perfectly binary category is one that has, you know, been, it's kind of governed sport for for a long time with the, you know, nobody has really questioned it. And uh, in more recent times, and it's it's become clear that it's not really actually that simple at all. So then this creates this uh, question of well, you know, do certain com- do certain competitors have un- unfair advantages? Uh, I mean, Castro Semeni, obviously, this has been uh, a well known for a career, yeah, yeah, well, a well known case for a long time. Um, and I mean, on on one level, you can understand the objections of competitors being beaten by Castro Semeni, saying this isn't fair, you know. Uh, on the other level, on the other level, what do you you know? What's fair to Castor Semenya? Mm. You know, um, I mean, there was a case. There was a quite very well publicized case in mixed martial arts a couple of years ago, um, involving a fighter called Fallon Fox, uh, who was a trans woman, and 
she, you know, essentially her participation uh, in women's mixed martial arts was pretty controversial. Uh, a lot of people had a, had a lot to say about it, uh, not much of it positive. Um, you know, people like Joe Rogan, Ronda Rousey, you know, big, big names in, in that world were saying, you know, this is ridiculous. And saying, you know, if you've got the frame of a man, if you've grown up as a man, essentially she had uh, gender reassignment surgery, I think, at uh, around the age of 30. Um, you know, it's uh, that it's unfair. Advantage. You've got, you know, man's skeleton and so on and so forth. But, you know, this is what they were saying as though this was definitely true. Um, her retort to that was, well, that's that's actually not true. You know, these facts that you're citing about bone density and so on don't actually yeah, stack yeah, yeah. up. You know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I understand. You're, yeah, yeah. You're people speaking, like to simplify these these uh, well, this whole area, really. Yeah, you're you're speaking from a position of ignorance. Um, a lot of you know, let's say, the I mean, the term is cis people, uh, people who are not trans, uh, don't really think about this issue at all. It doesn't. I mean, Castor Semenya is a, is a slightly different case, but you know, it's not like she's a, a transgender. You know, she's not a transgender person. This is she. Castor Semenya is the way that she was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I think, is going to become an, an ever increasing issue. I mean, Fallon Fox's argument, and there is a documentary about her, which which is on Netflix at the moment. I mean, uh, if, you know, if you're interested in kind of seeing more about it, but she was saying, the you know, people were saying things about her, like, oh, you know, this guy comes in, you know, has a sex change so he can beat up these women and kind of win, you know, all this kind of stuff. She's saying, the idea that you would do that, the idea that you would, you know, undergo gender reassignment, which is a very long and, you know, it's a tortuous enough process. You really have to want to do that. If you're going to do it, you really, you know, this is quite a serious thing to undertake. The idea that you do it just to gain a competitive advantage in some in sport, yeah, yeah. it's just so crazy. You know, <laughs> would you do it? Do you think you'd do it? I don't think so. But, you, you know, you could be a, a women's bantamweight champion. Yeah. No, you probably wouldn't do it. It's not, you know, you don't... You it know. would seem extreme, Ken. I, I, would, I would grant you that. Yeah. It would seem it would seem extreme. So this is going to become, I think, more and more... Uh, th- there are going to be more and more cases along those lines which are going to challenge the uh, idea... Uh, that people have of, of male and female categories in sport as a simple binary and everybody easily, obviously, fits into one or the other. Um, that's going to be a complicated thing, which is going to be worked out over the next few years. Yeah, and I mean, the the example of the, uh, the basketball player that Owen mentioned, it's, it's such an in- that that is, is such an interesting point to raise because, I mean, if you grow to be seven foot one, that is not, that's not, Normal. That's not a. That's not a normal thing for the. Like that's that's because your pituitary gland has exploded. You know that there there are reasons for that. Like Steph Curry, up against uh, say this guy Myers Leonard who plays for the Portland Blazers. I mean I don't know if he featured in the in the playoff games against the Warriors, but the guy's seven foot one. You know that's not that's not normal. That that that's not a. Um, uh, something happened in his body to make him seven foot one, and I mean, uh, this idea that that's an advantage, or that you should that you can just say, well, listen, that's what it is. He's seven foot one, so go for it, go play basketball. I mean, the, you, there's so much more to this than just uh, as Ken says, like a simple binary labeling of of an athlete. And I mean, it would be uh, you know, it would be really comfortable for us to be able to come to a conclusion that someone is being horribly treated here. But I don't think that this is a case where you can actually do that. I think that there is that there is unfairness on on all sides. It's it may be unfair for someone to, for you for you to compete against Castor Semenya. But think about what she's had to go through over the last six or seven years. And I mean, it's it's you considering know, the, a lot of the people up against her by the law of averages are probably doped up. Uh, I wouldn't feel too sorry yeah. for quite a lot of them. To be yeah. honest with you, I mean exactly. It's I, feel, I feel more sorry for for her in in, in how her uh, privacy was was invaded and her medical history was you know plastered, plastered everywhere, all over the and uh, with few years back. A minimum yeah. level of uh, of tact. I do just want to mention, uh, give a thanks to Sam Monson for tweeting us, suggesting we should take a look at that story. Now I'm going to ask Ken to tell us what's coming up in the Irish Times. Well, indeed, what's out there already, Ken, in the uh, in internet land in the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, the I'm a little bit of an idealist. 
But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What is your mom? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Wanfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely man? Internet land? Internet land, Owen. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, well, out there... The Sometimes you've been talking about a serious topic, and then when you start you know, lightening it up a little bit... Yeah. I don't know. You're, it's just a strange switch uh, in, in your brain. That, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I you're a my brain, bit frontal now, Owen. Yeah, I basically turned my brain off entirely, rather than just changing it up a little bit. All right. Uh, we uh, uh, talked a bit about the 35-man Ireland squad that's mm-hmm. out there. Uh, Martin O'Neill was, uh, was talking to the media today. Um, we talk, and we talked about that and, and his future, Roy Keane's future, all the stuff that happened in the Premier League. Well, not all of it. We didn't even mention the, you know, Liverpool-Chelsea would usually be a big game this time of the season, a small game now, not as big. The only, the biggest thing in town on is Big Sam, and we talked about him. <laughs> uh, we also talked about the embiggening of West Ham United. <laughs> uh, soon, it, you know, Manchester United, West Ham United, which will be the United that people refer to when they say United. That's a question. That's a question now, Kieran, because uh, West Ham uh, are attaining juggernaut proportions. Uh, certain amount of help from the public purse, sure, but you know, <laughs> what's the what's the big problem with that? And uh, yeah, so we talked about some of those issues with Jacob Steinberg on the final day of the 2012 Olympics. Our next guest flew under the radar quite a bit in aiding a top ten finish in the modern pentathlon just last Sunday. She won the gold in the mixed relay. Uh, at the World Cup in Florida. Delighted to say we're joined in studio by World Cup winner Natalia Coyle. Natalia, congratulations. Thanks very much. And thanks very much for bringing in the medal as well. Myself and Murph have been ogling it here. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it uh, it actually needs to be... Does it, are all the gold medals that size because they need to get the five events onto the actual imprint of the gold medal? or? I, just, I haven't thought of it that way before, but like the bigger the better, really. Like, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. yeah, gaudiness is not a problem here. No. When, it, when it comes to gold medals, I don't think that's the big issue. You brought home a silver last time. Yeah, so we, last year with um, Arthur, my partner in the relay, we won three silvers last year and silver in this event last year. So we were really hungry for gold and the people who beat us actually were competing at the same, same time again. So we were really, it was a little personal this time. Have you been actually carrying that around for the last few days or is it just that we I asked just you to wear bring it, it all the time. Right, okay. not <laughs> no, no, it was in the car earlier. On, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't just walk around with it. Okay, on, yeah, but like yeah, maybe yeah. I should. I don't know. P- possibly That's something to think about. Yeah. If, I, if I had won that, I probably would be. To be, to be how uh, how narrow are the margins between silver and, and gold in in it your ver- like they are very. It depends on the day. So the whole way up until the final event, it was I started off in third position in the combined, and that was five seconds from first. So the top four teams went off within sec- six seconds. But in the end. I handed over to Arthur. I ran away a good bit. So we won about, about 20 seconds in the end. We had a really strong last event. And I think it just because we had silver twice last year, I think it was a little bit more personal for me and Arthur. So we really wanted it. I imagine so. Yeah. Were you, were you confident you were going to get him? Did you go over thinking gold? I was confident that we'd get a medal. I just didn't know what colour. And especially, like, Arthur and I work really well together. And I really wanted to get a goal this time as well. And to know, to be able to hear the anthem and stand on the top and have your flag. And what everything. was it like? Was it what you'd had expected? Oh, it was, yeah, it was just as good. Actually, the, the top tier of the podium was really high off the ground. And I had to, like, use Arthur for a bit of leverage <laughs> on the way up as well. I'm not that tall, so... Yeah. The uh, I mean the last couple of, I, I wanted to ask you about the Olympics because this is obviously yeah. the next question that that everyone um, will ask you about and has been asking you about. You're not actually there yet. No, I'm not qualified there yet. So I'm qualifying through a world ranking system, and that ends in little just two weeks now so it's going to be a little stressful two weeks I have world championships in Moscow then and then I hope to qualify for the final there and then seal my deal on the ranking so that's kind of how it goes so it's been a long season I've been away every two weeks competing since February notching up points the whole way and defending my position so it has been a little stressful but I really like to compete so it's kind of nice Well well, I was reading that yeah you've been to I read a Keith Duggan interview did with Keith Duggan a couple of months ago and at that stage you were preparing to head to Cairo, Rio, Budapest, Rome, Florida, where you won the World Cup, and then on to Moscow in a few weeks. Have you been to all those places? Yeah, that, I've that's done all that. Right, and okay. then I did an extra Budapest in the middle, just why not? <laughs> and then I'm heading off to Moscow in two weeks. So it's been it's been a bit jam-packed with travelling. So it's tough, because in, in some Olympic events, there are, you know, say I'm thinking boxing in particular, there are a couple of events that you qualify from, and it's it's it seems a lot more straightforward for you. It's It's a bit more of a grind really is it it's a funny headspace being that you win yeah. this World Cup uh, as part of the mixed relay and then you're, you're you're still in this kind of zone where you're 
have to be as competitive as possible to get there to get to Rio yeah it is quite a long one I think there's some events triathlon are quite similar as well because they notch up ranking points I think for yeah. two years so it's a really long process but there was continental qualifiers last year like Europeans and I'm the first reserve from that because I am 11th so if someone else qualifies above me then I'll I'll go from that as well so I kind of have two routes but it is a really long it's quite it's it's a tough time and you see it in all the competitors in America everyone all the women and the men who are competing in the final looking for points were just all very tired at this stage <laughs> yeah. it is interesting though that say the boxing analogy or uh, say the, the US final trials for track and field or whatever I mean it, in ways it's more straightforward but it's maybe it's not also that fair either when you think about it that you've got you've got one week where you have to be you know, your head has to be absolutely perfect. You qualify, that's fine. Yeah. Whereas with you, it's it's obviously it's a long slog, but over the course of the the qualifying uh, route, the campaign, the cream should rise to the top, and that that should mean that you will. Go yeah, to, I think there's merits to, to both because, like on some in the US trials and things like that, that they do straight away. You know, sometimes the best win, but you also have like someone totally out of the blue could come out because they're just relaxed, more relaxed than the champion who should mm. be winning. And then for me. I have probably a lot more competitions to do it in, but I need to constantly be on it, and it's just so tiring doing them all. So I think it's it's definitely, I think there is benefits to both. I don't know which I'd choose. <laughs> be a lot of pressure. Take us back, Natalia, a little bit, because we haven't had you in here before. Um, why modern pentathlon? Um, when I was younger, I did something called Pony Club Triathlon, and you do four of the five sports there. So running, swimming, shooting, and riding. And it's really just a bit of crack when you're younger. It's, you know, you try and get on the Irish team, you go to an exotic trip up to Belfast, that sort of stuff. And it's just all about fun. And I was really bad at the start, and I just started training a bit more, and I really liked it, and I liked doing lots of different sports. And I think I just, I don't know if I'd be able to do one sport now, because I'm just so used to different different trainings all the time and I picked up fencing eventually um, when one of the guys introduced it to me and I kind of haven't looked back from there it's just kind of snowballed since Right so fencing was is maybe the one that you had to work at the most Definitely because I picked that up um, the latest and it is such a technical sport it's a bit like boxing there is all these tactics uh, attack, defence everything like that and it takes a long time and it is um, it's probably the most mentally tough one because sometimes it can go disaster and then other times you can feel like a god so do you want to take us into the worst disaster or is that a oh I've cr- there's been there's been tears really? earlier on I think Europeans um, when I was trying to qualify for London um, I was crying because I'd lost I'd say about 8 or 10 hits in a row and I remember my coach was trying to talk to me and there was kind of like fake plants around the hall and I was trying to hide behind the plants like <laughs> eye line so no one would see and she and she often brings it up and so does my fencing coach now that there's been none of the tree hiding uh, recently <laughs> but um, hopefully there won't be any of that again yeah I can imagine an event that you say is really technical I can only imagine the concentration levels required so if you do get mentally into a bad place there it just would just snowball because you have to be 100% on it to to oh definitely it is one of the most mentally if you start going down a little slope it's very difficult to take yourself out like we do a lot of work with um, our psychologist Kay Kirby and she really helped me kind of just not go in because once you go down it's very difficult to come back up yeah. if you know you're nearly about to cry because you're after losing 10 hits suddenly trying to make everything okay again is very difficult so it is trying not to ride the wave whereas maybe if you go on a bad run one day okay that was a bad run and yeah. you can nearly I, I don't know for me maybe I can identify more with running than with uh, with, with fencing certainly <laughs> if, if I got into a bad run yeah. Yeah, 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 I suppose yeah. you can identify a lot with well, not with this modern, kind of uh, yeah. 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 So there we go you came in the top 10 ninth in the London Olympics yeah. and I mean I don't want to say you came from nowhere but you hadn't been doing it that long at that. did you surprise yourself by coming in the top yeah 10? I think I did I think um, I'd had a really good Europeans about a uh, little less than a month before the Olympics where I'd placed about 11th or 12th so I knew it was in good shape and I think the fact that no one and had heard of modern pentathlon or me or any or Arthur as well because he was competing I think that kind of was a strength for me because no one's paying attention to me Roy McRoy was winning the Open that day and the marathon was on and I just kind of trickled through for the whole day and I kept getting better and I kept having personal bests the whole day and then I remember walking out to the final event and huge crowds like 37,000 people watching and I was in 11th and I don't think it even registered and then when I crossed the line I didn't even realise I'd come ninth and then my coach was like you've come ninth and then I was like oh that's great that's a great day isn't it like it was just all I think I was just so naive because it was my first games and I just I was just shocked by the grandeur of it and the like just all the support as well was crazy it sounded like you kept your head though because we hear constantly how the first ideally an athlete kind of takes it in in the first Olympics and then qualifies again and really goes yeah, for it and it's kind yeah. of the, the subtext to that is that the, you know the first time is just too so much. overwhelming yeah, yeah. that 
yeah. that you, you you can't bring any, anything close to your best, which is which is obviously not what what happened with you. Yeah, no? I think I just I perform a lot better if I'm just having the crack, relaxed, and having fun instead of getting too psyched up or too much. It takes too much out of me the whole day. It's such a long day that if you're trying to stay so on it the whole way through it's mentally exhausting and we've a really good team around us and the Olympic Council are fantastic there as well because I was on the last weekend so obviously a lot of people are finished and they're all having fun and you're still trying to stay in the bubble and so they were good at keeping us away from everyone else and you know we were great teams I think that's half of the battle as well yeah, we always hear these, you know, the, the athletes, the, is there a McDonald's in the Olympic Village and it starts filling up as the as the couple of weeks go on? Yeah, completely deserted in the last <laughs> day. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, it's like, the only place you can get coffee as well. So everyone is just there and just going in the McCafe getting coffee all the time. Oh God, tough going. Uh, the, you did have a bit of a tough time after the, after those Olympics for about a year maybe? Yeah, I think I came back after the Olympics and you're supposed to take a good break and relax, recharge. And I came back and hit the ground running being like, I'm going to win a lot of medals next year. You know, really spurred on, which was great in one sense, but it just made me work too hard for too long. And then I burnt out by the time the summer was coming along where I should have been rising up for Europeans and Worlds. I could barely get a week of training done. I was either too tired or getting injured or sick. And the Institute of Sport just stepped in and said, look, you know, if you if you want to go to Rio, you're going to need to take a bit of a break now. You're going to have to take about... Um, four months off and just relax and totally recharge and that's what I had to do and it was tough because when you used to be an athlete and that structure the whole time and going towards a goal to be told you just have to step away is very difficult but luckily I had college exams and things like that to distract me with I don't think I'd ever say that again <laughs> exams. but no I came back from it in the end so it probably was the best yeah it's a funny one because I guess that's how you feel fulfilled a lot of the time by by actually going out there and by training hard and as you say when that's not there it's it's like it's just this massive gap in just how you're feeling oh it's just and it's such routine as well if you're used to something you do it the whole time so for the first couple of weeks I was going out for a sneaky run just trying to feel like somewhat normal and then you, you get into the groove of maybe you need to relax and then you understand it and then when I came back like it wasn't all rosy when I came back I was so unfit it was like plucking an average athlete off the street and trying to make them back into an Olympian and I'm lucky because the Institute of Sport um, kind of guided me through it all and made sure I didn't come back through too hard but it took me a good year to get back to where I needed to be What would a heavy training week look like for you? So there's about 25 hours so six days and we take um, Sunday off so I do about um, four swims four runs two sparring fencing sessions I'll do about two fencing lessons four shoots two gyms and a horse riding <laughs> You tired Murph? <laughs> sorry this is a week now Yes yeah, so <laughs> that's not an annual uh, <laughs> okay, kind of training regime Well can you look back at it now and think that actually the break did you some good then that it, oh, ma- maybe it's no harm actually that you did have to take a few months off all of that It's definitely made me the athlete I am now because I realise I'm still learning from not overtraining. it's so difficult when you have a multi-event because you need to train the whole time but I think definitely the break helped me because it made me come back I got technically a lot better because I had to take it so slow at the start and then it wrapped me back up and it really shows like you know the first worlds I went to I, I was as fit as I was in London but the sport had moved on and I didn't even make the final and I got crushed and that was very it was a big wake-up call it was like whoa you can't rest in your laurels here and I think that made me a stronger athlete you are uh, you're based entirely in Abbottstown now yeah and, and so it used to be a little bit more hodgepodge than that you were kind of all everywhere over the place. around Dublin coming up for London and um, we were I was training in fencing in Trinity in UCD I was going off for swimming the NAC running maybe in Santry across somewhere else like it was just always in my car living out of my car exactly the opposite of what you you know of ideally what you would yeah, want exactly. uh, as, a, as a high performance athlete yeah the, I saw you tweeting that you had Rob Carney out there the yeah day. he was um, trying, trying a bit of fencing and shooting <laughs> yeah. go on uh, no yeah. comment on the uh, standard. He's oh. an exceptional rugby fullback. <laughs> He's a great rugby player. <laughs> you know, he was he was a good sport. He tried it, and then um, they had a mic in the mask, and the they were shooting an ad, and um, the director just asked me, you know do something at the start just to make him say something in the mask and there's something you can do in fencing called a flesh which basically means you just run at him with the sword to the mask and the man was not expecting it <laughs> and I don't think they'll be able to use what he said anyway in the mask. <laughs> right, okay. so I think it was a really good sport it was, it was interesting You're part of the one of the athletes featured in the Road to Rio documentary which we mentioned earlier on on, on RT it's on over the next few weeks you're, I think you are just in it briefly last night but um, what was it like having the cameras following you around for quite a while? It was a bit weird at the start um, the cameraman Dara he made it so much easier though he's so nice and the first time about two years ago now which is weird they came and filmed me doing some run testing and I think that'll probably be in the first episode 
And I remember at the end, you just in a run test, you just keep running till you go, till you just collapse. So at the end, when I finally caught my breath back and he asked me how I was, I was so shy. I didn't know what to say. But you get used to it and Dara makes it really easy. And he's been to a lot of competitions. He went to Europeans with me last year where I didn't go as fully as planned. And then he was just with me in America there as well. So he goes all around the world and it is amazing. I think it's interesting. I loved it. I watched it last night. And, you know, even for an athlete to see other sides of athletes' lives, what they do and their training is really interesting. And I definitely, like, I think it was really good. Well, that's great that he's got that footage in from the weekend. Yeah. So we'll see you winning the... Hopefully. Yeah, 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 all going well, yeah. Do you get a chance that you you don't know necessarily what's in there? uh, As in, it just films and then... Just he films, they film loads and then they just edit it down to what. So there's a lot. I'm sure I don't want to be in there (laughs) that stage so um but who knows what i'll go in i was watching the first episode last night what's the name of the young taekwondo kid jack jack woolly yeah uh, oh i nearly cried oh it's all right yeah Yeah. i'll I'll admit that so this kid 17 years of age is in his olympic qualification event in taekwondo beats the european champion i think he did yeah he was only um he's only 17 so he just turned senior and from what i know from taekwondo you can't compete until you've turned into a senior. So he had no time to rank up points like I would. Yeah. He had to go and win this qualifier. And then he lost the final to this Israeli guy and, and just and just broke down. It's just, oh, oh, it's like I going. nearly Such broke nice down last kid. night yeah, watching yeah. him. Yeah. You know, he'll be, but he'll he's a rising star. He'll be one for the future to watch in Tokyo. You know, that'll be a big thing for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, the, the documentary is called The Road to Rio with whatever it is, less than 100 days now, 80 days or something, I think. But... Um, do, uh, what, what do you think now on the back of what you've just done over the last weekend that you're it's a totally different scene from what it was going to London where no one knew you no one knew the sport whereas now when someone wins you know a, a world title like this in such close proximity to the Olympics obviously people are going to be keeping an eye out for you and thinking right is, is this a medal prospect you know people, people will get will be mad into this for the for the duration of the Olympics it's a very different pressure for you to probably try and handle. Yeah, and I suppose I'll probably rely on my team like I did the last time because you do a lot of media coming up to it and then you just shut yourself off and go do your thing because at the end of the day, you're an athlete. But there is only that kind of one year in the middle where people kind of see the Olympics and see especially the minority sports like us. Where people like us ask you into to come chat. In. I know, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. And I suppose they will say make hay when the sun shines. But there is also the balance act of you have to be an athlete and you have to train and you have to compete. So it is always a mixture but like maybe by the end of the year a couple more people might know Modern Metathlon <laughs> So you said it's Moscow next? Is that Moscow next, next, next in stop? less okay. than two weeks Okay so. well we wish you well there and don't forget your medal <laughs> while you're here Natalia Coyle thanks for coming thanks in to mean. us Thanks you What are you saying? You're just a phony man This is just what happened I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look This ain't wrestling This ain't the WWE baby My belly's just a little big My heart is just a little big This is just an act that you're doing You should be an actor But brother I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's scared, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that. I'm not going to lie, Murph. The fencing part of the modern pentathlon doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me personally. Mm. I, I just I don't want to be reduced to tears by the mental demands of my sport. Uh, sounds like she nailed it in London, though. It was pretty chilled out there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd be... Well, I, I was going to say, I don't know that I'd be much good at fencing. But, I mean, what that, that would lead some listeners to conclude that I think I'd be pretty good at any of the other stuff. Doesn't sound like Rob Carney was much good at the, at the fencing. No, no, no. I, it's, I, I will say this, though. It's not a sport that I'd, I'd like to give it, you know, have a, have a go at with someone who actually knew how to fence. You know, I wouldn't be... You know, I, I'd like to... To learn against me to begin with. Yes, and then exactly. Step up if I could, bit. if I, I could just fence with you for three or four years and then, then take it to the next <laughs> level, that would be fine. I just wouldn't like to be thrown in at the deep end, in the whole fencing lark. Yep. You didn't have to grab the medal offer, by the way, for the photograph. That was a little bit crude, but oh, uh, there you go. I saw my opportunity and I went for it. Where yeah. we literally stole the medal off a uh, world champion to put on our own. I regret shoulders nothing <laughs> for the purposes of a photograph. The Irish Times Championship Supplement is out today, uh, so have a look at that. It, that today's Thursday as we speak. If you get a chance, the opening weekend, Murph, anything floating your boat? Uh, well, two games on Saturday, both in Port Leash, Louth against Carlow and Leash against Wicklow. And then on Sunday, it's Fermanagh against Antrim in the Ulster preliminary round. And then it's Offaly against Longford. And uh, you know what's probably 
the most well it's right up there among the most annoying GA cl- cliches in the world the one where 82,000 people watching them and you know they could be teaching your kids in the morning on the Monday morning or working in the bank or you know serving you your coffee yeah. the very next day amateur ethos well I was in the AIB bank in uh, Bagger Street in Dublin yesterday and I was actually served by an awfully intercounty footballer so I'd just like to wish uh, Shane Nally and his awfully teammates the very best of luck on Sunday uh, he's a hell of a bank teller mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so there you go on uh, yeah he's a he's a uh, it's it, it and it's actually a pretty big game for Offaly uh, uh, Shane was saying that they have played Longford quite a bit over the last number of years like an obscene amount uh, but they win that uh, and Can I make the point this guy oh, sorry yeah sorry yeah let you finish first yeah yeah no they, that. It, they're, they're he's they're on the opposite side of the draw from my beloved Dubs mm-hmm. so every team <laughs> on that side of the draw kind of have a sneaking suspicion that hey listen we get it we get on a bit of a run here Westmead were in the Leicester final last year so w- if Westmead why not the hell Offaly you know the reason the very reason this young Offaly player mm-hmm. is living in Dublin and working in Dublin rather than at home in Offaly is so that he can avoid this exact type of conversation <laughs> in the week in the lead up to a big game oh no he was he was very anxious was to he wearing me. his jersey or no 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 he wasn't but okay. uh, we, we, we fell to talking and uh, yeah we took it from there that Road to Rio documentary that I mentioned that Natalia Coyle is going to be part of that by the way is on Wednesday nights at half eight the first one was yesterday and it runs for six weeks so it's well worth the look over the next few weeks Ken have you gotten to the, ba- the bottom of General Patton's uh, performance in the what Olympics was it again? 1912, huh? 1912. How to get on over? Have you averaged his results? Yes, uh, and I apologise to him, and I'm glad that he's not around anymore, <laughs> uh, because I did him a disservice when I stated that he had finished 20-something. 20, 20 you called it a very disappointing performance. When, in fact, he finished fifth. Whoa! Uh, fifth overall in the first non-Swede. There was controversy concerning his performance in the pistol shooting competition, <laughs> where he used a 38 caliber pistol. Well, most of the other competitors chose 22 kinds oh, of firearms. He just brings up this, ma- this he massive claimed that the gear. holes in the paper from his early shots were so large that some of his later bullets passed through them. <laughs> uh, but the judges decided he had, in fact, missed the target completely. <laughs> uh, but he, um, yeah, he, uh, he actually finished uh, 21st in shooting. Because uh, obviously he was too good. <laughs> well, because he got completely screwed by the Swedes. But he, so he, brought- finished, he finished 21st. 21st in that so, so even like a you know like a 10th would have got him a medal he shouldn't have brought he shouldn't have brought a cannon to the bloody thing uh, no it was you feel lucky showing showing Swedish off. punks 6th 4th uh, uh, in fencing 7th uh, in swimming 6th in equestrian 3rd in the foot race 5th overall um, just out of the medals was selected course on for the 1916 Summer Olympics but that had to be cancelled because uh, of the First World War so uh, he never got the chance to write that wrong. Hats off. Thanks, Ken. Uh, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks so much, Kieran. Thanks a million for listening. Do be listening to that football podcast. Lots of good stuff. Oh, did you mention the exchange between yourself and Martin O'Neill? I did uh, not. No, I, when we pre-promised. That's what you need to listen for. Very strange, very, very strange exchange between Ken and Republic of Ireland manager Martin O'Neill at today's press conference. I'll I just say, leave it at that. I say we'll let, let people it. find out for Netflix. Yeah, I'll leave you know, it at that. The Horace and Pete approach. You know, just... <laughs> just, just uh, just open it up and see what's in it. How is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home.